Well, good morning to you. We're so glad you're here to echoing what Corey said to our, our moms today. Happy Mother's Day to you. Uh, echo everything he said from those who have gone on to those expectant to those that this day can be a hard day. It just, it can be. It's a, it's a mix today. But one thing that I do know is that we have a God who walks with us and a God that it carries us through all seasons of life. And so we are walking through this idea of taking up your cross. It, this was a thing that Jesus said, and he gave us this beautiful model. And we're going <clears> to <throat> look through this. So if you've got your Bibles, go to Acts chapter 4. I don't know what that meant, but Acts chapter 4, there we go. We're going to go there, and if there's an insert, if that helps you kind of follow along uh, about this idea. <clears throat> Jesus, early on, he asked his disciples, uh, he, he says, you know, who do you say I am? And, you know, this is a really important question, because when you're thinking about taking up your cross, I love what, what we've come up with the definition. It's <clears throat> to deny self-determination, to die to self-determination, to running our lives, surrendering, using Jesus for our agenda. That idea is that if we're going to take up our cross, this model, this definition is really healthy for us to think about. We're going to stop trying to earn our salvation. We're going to stop trying to win God's approval. We're going to stop trying to do a bunch of check, check marks off. And then I added this, living our lives in awareness of who Christ is and what he's done for us. Part of taking up your cross on a regular basis is an awareness that what happened on the cross was for you and for me. And that's important when we think about taking up our cross because if you don't, you kind of forget and then you start trying to do it yourself and that doesn't go so well. And so Jesus asked his disciples the first week we started this, who do you say I am? Because that will determine if you're going to take up your cross. If you don't think that Jesus is all that he is and that he did what he said he would do and that he, is on, he did this and he's alive and well, you're not as likely to take up your cross. And then the next week we said, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. He says, you got to take up your cross, your relationship with Christ. you got to take it and go. It's not somebody else's job. It's your responsibility to do that. And he said, so he said that, so I appreciate that. I'm not working that hard yet, but just, uh, you know how that is some days. Thank you. And so then, the next week, we talked about this idea. He says, the idea of counting the cost. That to follow Christ means you've got to stand and say, man, am I really, really going to do this? Because you can't say that I'm a Christian and I'm going to, do this thing on Sunday, but not live for God the rest of the time. That just sends a message. It's confusing enough for the world looking at Christians when they see so much inconsistency. And so Jesus was saying, you better count the cost. If you're going to follow me, you better count. You better actually say, yep, I'm all in. Let's go. Because here's the other part of that, is that when you get to that point, the most encouraging thing you can say is that this following Jesus is worth it. It's worth it. It's worth it. And we see lots of people in the Bible that looked at what Jesus did on the cross and said, it's worth it. <clears throat> Let's do this thing. Let's go. And so he said that. So you get into Acts chapter 4. You get Acts is a great because it gives you the kind of the roots of the early church. The church was trying to get its footing. Jesus has ascended into heaven. The disciples are like, uh, that's us now. It's us. It's our responsibility. 
It's, 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 it's my time. And I, I think, you know, when you think about that, I remember growing up. Um, let me just tell, let me help you out. Some teenagers, never complain to your parents about something that you want them to do faster. So when I was 12, I went to my mom and I said, Mom, I need these jeans washed a little more frequently. Dead man walking. And so she said, okay. She said, let me help you. I said, all right, Mom, all right. I'll be in the room watching TV. Let me know when they're done. She said, no, no. She says, come over here. She said, right here, there's this thing you slide out and you put soap in. I'm like, okay. And she said, and the next little drawer you slide out, it's this thing called fabric softener. And you put this little cup and you pour it in. I went, okay. And she says, and you kind of color, color coordinate so you don't just put in whites with all this. And I was like, okay. She says, and go ahead. And I went, what do you mean? She goes, if you want them done faster, it's your time to shine. And let me just tell you what, I was a bit like the disciples at that moment. I was like, and she just walked away. She said, here you go. Uh, I've now showed you how to do laundry. And so I, I'm standing there with deer in the headlight moments like the disciples. Jesus is gone. She's standing, I, I see my mom fade off into the other room, left me there in front of the washer and dryer, holding fabric softener and detergent. And I've been doing my laundry ever since. And I do the rest of our laundry too, but Beth and I, I do primarily the laundry. And I, it's a guy thing. I don't know why I do, but I just do. And so the disciples are left with the church and Jesus has ascended. He has told them everything. He says, you got power. I'm with you. But he's not physically there. And so the religious leaders think, finally, this thing is over. These guys are done. They're not going to be Jesus fanatics anymore. They're going to kind of dial it down. And so they're, they're thinking, okay, this thing's going to go away. Jesus is gone. Okay, we're good. And that's not true. And the other thing, too, I think that sometimes when you look at the Bible, if, if you think about some of this, you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which are the Gospels, and then Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then the next Bible is, the book is Acts, okay? Acts is written, and I think sometimes you think there's this long span of time from when those were written to when Acts was written. And so you think, oh, well, you know, that was a long time ago. And I, so I think when you think about what the story we're about to read is that there was roughly not, don't pin me down on this, but probably around 100 to 150 days between what happened with Jesus in the ascension and to where we are in Acts chapter 4, okay? Not years, days. And so if you are a person in, in that season, you remember that Peter stood in a courtyard and defiantly said, I have no idea who that Jesus is. No idea. Now, it's interesting. Peter did the denial for Jesus for free. Judas did it for cash, but Peter did it for free. And so, Peter has been restored by Jesus. We know that in the book of John. And he stands in a, in a, in a position to bear the cross to a bunch of people. And he is about to do this because the religious leaders thought that Jesus' think movement was going away, and now it's ratcheted up. And if you're taking notes, I want to give you these two things, and these not only pertain to cross-bearing, but they just pertain to life, okay? They're great. And if you don't get anything else, I said, 
catch these two things. When we're talking about the promises, about taking up your cross, these are two promises we get from God. The first one is this, I will always be with you. This is out of Matthew 28, 20, when Jesus told him. And the other one, and I love it as well, and this is out of Joshua 1, 5, and it says this, I will never leave you or forsake you. So catch those two promises, because Jesus is telling us that when you take up your cross, you get those with it. It's part of the deal. It's part of the package. And so when he says to take up your cross, you're not taking it up alone. He's saying, I'm going to be with you, and I'm not going to forsake you. I'll always be with you. I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to. When the disciples were left to take the church, it wasn't that Jesus was, he was, he was spiritually there. Physically, not so much, but spiritually, he was right there with them. How do we know? It's because we see it in Acts chapter 8, or excuse me, 1 chapter 8, and then in chapter 2, we see all this playing out. And I love what A.W. Tozer said about taking up your cross as we dive into Acts chapter 4. He said this, he says, how can we have and know the blessed intimacy of the Lord Jesus if we are unwilling to take the route which he has demonstrated? How, do, how, can we take, how can we know what it means to take up your cross unless we're prepared to go the path that he went, the, direct, the way that he went, the, the journey that he went on? And so A.W. Tozer is telling us that if you're going to take up your cross, you, you've got to take the path he took. We can't take up our cross and go, oh, Jesus, I'm going to go down this. This road's a little easier. It's, it's, it's a little bit more well-traveled. There's a lot more going down this road. And he didn't call us to that. And so the religious leaders think that Jesus' movement is going away, and they actually see it ratcheting up. And so let's look at this great story out of Acts chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 1. It says, as they were speaking, the people and the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. Verse 2, greatly annoyed. I love the, I love the, way, I love the way the English Standard Version in, just really gives you annoyed, not perturbed, not annoyed. It was greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming Jesus, the resurrection for the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. And I, don't miss this because in that culture, the, the men were the dominant piece, but women and children were also receiving Christ too. Okay. Where we, there was a, it was a huge number. Same thing with the fishes and the loaves. You get that, um, and you, you see that. I will say it's really cool as a sidebar to this. We just finished up Romans, and when you get into Romans 16, and you see how Paul was trying to show the importance of women in their roles in the church and, and part of that early church going, and it was just really cool to see how that played out. The apostles were not preaching rules. They were preaching the resurrection, that what Jesus had done was for everybody. And the religious leaders were going, whoa, hang on. You're not preaching rules. We preach rules, and now you're, you're saying that Jesus is it. And here's the most offensive verse that most people will find in the Bible, and I'm going to read it to you out of John 14, 6, Jesus' words. And he said this. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And in our culture today, this is probably the most offensive verse in the Bible because they will say that it's rigid, that it's narrow, that, that it, there's got to be other ways. 
And, and when, you, when you want to add other ways, it, becomes not, it doesn't become about Jesus anymore. It comes about you. It becomes about, I want to make this easier. I want to make it more palatable. And the, the disciples were making hard lines in the sand about how to come to a relationship with Christ. It was through the cross. It was through Jesus. It wasn't through a bunch of rules. As, I, as one of the things that we talked about when we were doing the series on Romans is that the rules were designed... To, for as guardrails, not as the Savior. They were to point you to the fact you needed Jesus, not to replace Him. And so they were preaching that Jesus was it, that how, how do you get to the Father? It was through Christ, no other way. It says, on the next day, the rulers and the elders and the scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Ananias, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexandra. And all of them were at, uh, of the high priestly family. And when they sat set their mind in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by name do you do this? How are, think of the question they're asking, how are all these people responding to you this way? Here's the thing that they were troubled with, because they don't respond to us like that. They don't respond to us like that. They don't respond with a, I need more, give me some of that, I want that, wow, they're like, by what power and what name are people responding to, to your message because they don't do that with us? I remember when I was the youth pastor here a long time ago, we had a kid, he, was, he, he would come to our stuff on Wednesdays, he went to another denomination, um, and he would have to leave like um, three quarters of the way through our thing to go to his thing. And, and I remember asking him one day, and I said, I said, what's this like for you? Because you come to our stuff. You go to Super Summer. You, you come here, but, you, you know, you, your parents want you to go do this. And I'll never forget his words. He said, I go to this thing, and we study about Jesus. When I come here, I have fun with Jesus. And it was this, it was this rigid kind of, you got to, he, he didn't get to engage. He didn't get to enjoy Jesus for who Jesus wanted to be in his life. And it's always stuck with me. And so the religious leaders were really chafing about this. And I love what verse 8 says. It says, when Peter filled, filled. Now, you have to go back to 2. Let me read this to you. You don't have to go there, but let me read this. Let me read what it says. Verse, this is Acts 2, 4. It says, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. He said, it, he said it multiple times because he needed to remind them. He said, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man. See, one of the things, that, one of the things that's happening is not only are people responding to the gospel, but God has given them the power to heal. And so the religious leaders are going, okay, we can't do any of this. People are responding to the gospel. This guy who was crippled is now walking we don't like this because it's making us look bad. Their cross, their, their, their cross bearing was relegated to inside the bag. They didn't want anybody to know. They didn't want to be super committed. Peter, his cross came out and he says, I'm going to tell you who Jesus is. I'm going to tell you how this guy got healed. I'm going to show you. And he lived, his cross was out in public, in view. He wasn't ashamed, he wasn't embarrassed. And we're going to talk more about that here in just a moment. And so he says that. 
And look at what he says. He says, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you. Peter is telling him emphatically, it isn't me. It's Christ doing this through me. I, got, I have no power here. I am just a willing vessel to be his messenger. That's the only way this has happened. This is Jesus, the stone that, that was rejected by you, the builders which have become the cornerstone. And there is salvation to no one else, for there is no one under name in heaven given among men by which we must be saved. He says there's no other way. It's through Christ. The resurrection was true. The gospel was impacting people on two levels. People were responding to it, I need Jesus, and people were being healed physically. It was amazing. They were seeing amazing things happen, and the religious leaders couldn't argue the fact. They couldn't deny it. They were witnesses to seeing God at work on levels they had never seen before, and it was annoying to them. It was annoying to them. And I love verse 13, one of my favorite verses. Now, when they saw, they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. Some of the most powerful people I have known that love God were teenagers, being a student pastor for a long time. Watching a teenager get excited about Jesus and not caring what anybody thought. Watching them invite family, invite friends, getting invested in, in reaching out and saying, I'm just going to tell you about Jesus. You may not, may not be your cup of tea, but it is for me. And they looked at Peter because here's the thing. It wasn't but 100, 150 days prior to this, they saw Peter denouncing Christ. They were, they were like, oh, he's the one that said, I don't know who that Jesus guy is. I have no idea. And so they are like, is this the same guy? Is this the same guy that was hiding, that was denouncing, that was making it, that I have no affiliation with him whatsoever. And this is a, they were astonished at the power and the confidence. Uh, the word boldness, catch that word. And they recognized the only way that this could happen, I love this, and they recognized they had been with Jesus. The only way that they could do this is Jesus. But seeing that the men who were healed standing beside him, they had nothing to say in opposition. The guy that was crippled is now standing. What are you going to say? Uh, how are you doing that? Are there, is there some sort of wood behind those legs? Or how are you? They, they recognize not only was this guy physically healed, but they see these people responding to the gospel. And they saw that these guys were uneducated. They saw that they were common because they, see, they saw themselves as educated. They knew more than everybody else. And they said, I will show, how, how, are, these guys, how are these guys doing this? Let me help you out. Being able, to do, being able to take up your cross isn't about age, isn't about how much Bible you know, or how long you've been a Christian. It's about a willingness to say, I'm going to live for God. And it can be a child to a senior adult. You don't have to say, well, once I've been a Christian long enough, let me just tell you, the sooner you start doing that, the better it gets. The sooner you say, I'm going to live for God now, not later. I'm not going to, well, once I know a little bit more Bible. See, 
go ahead and live for God now. God will take care of all that. God will take care of all that. And verse 14 says, But seeing the men had been healed, standing beside them, they said nothing in opposition. But when they had come, they commanded them to leave the council, they offered, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these guys? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. My mama used to say when something like that happens, they're in trouble. Verse 17, but in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. I love this. Peter's like, they're going to warn them. They're going to warn them. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. He goes, whether you, you, you're, you, whether for you, that's up to you. Verse 20, look at what it says. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. He's like, you can tell me I can't and you can judge me accordingly, but at the end of the day, we're not going to stop talking about what we have seen and what we have heard. And this is a great example because they're going back to what they have seen, what they have seen of the resurrection of Christ, what they have seen Jesus' life, what they've seen Him do, and what they've heard. And so they do all this. There's like, there's no way. You can't stop us. We're going to, can, you can threaten us. And when they had further threatened them, they let him go, finding no way to punish him because of all the people for all were praising God for what had happened. It is hard to crush a rebellion when there's a whole bunch of favoritism for what they're bringing. When people are like, uh, leave them alone. You're a bully. You're a bully because we like what they're doing. They're bringing us hope. You bring us rules. They're bringing us Jesus. You're bringing us weight and a burden. And we're seeing people healed. See, taking up your cross brings hope to people. It brings hope. It says, look at that person. If they're living for God in a hostile environment at home or at work or at school, but they're being light to the world around them, we cannot, we cannot but speak about what we've seen. And when they had further threatened them and let them go, founding no way to punish them because of all the people were praising what was happening. For the men of whom this sign of, of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. See, because, see, back in that culture, somebody who had an affliction, a lot of the religious leaders thought because it was sin, that you got this as a punishment. And so they thought, well, they're, you know, he's, he's, been, he's being punished, and now he's being healed? Uh-oh, that kind of changes things. And so you see this in this idea of cross-bearing is this, there was, there was sheer courage on the disciples, and it took that because of Christ, not because of them. It takes this cross-bearing, you're going to cross-bear if you've been with Jesus. If you haven't been with Jesus, you're not going to take up your cross. I will promise you, you will not take up something that you're not all that excited about. If you're excited about Jesus, this comes out publicly. It doesn't stay private. And for Peter, when he was denying Jesus, I promise you, he had this bag tight, and he had this like this, and the girl and everybody else who was asking him about that Jesus, he's like, I don't know, I don't know anybody. But here, boldly and profoundly, he breaks out his cross and says, 
I'm not going to stop talking about who this Jesus is. I'm going to keep sharing. I'm going to do this. I'm going to keep talking, even if you don't like it. And I'll say this to you moms this morning. Even if your children aren't all that receptive to Jesus right now, live it out. Model it. Show them. Most of you know we adopted about a little over a year ago. And I am, not a year ago, it would be a year this October. It's just been a few months, actually. I am astonished at how much a little kid soaks up your life in everything you do and don't do. Um, that song that we, My Feet Are On The Rock, um, I watch my little girl when we, we hear it on the radio. She does all the dances to it. And watching her do that song, but it's because it was, it was given to her. It was modeled to her. And uh, she, she um, um, it was yesterday, actually. Yesterday, I was reading my quiet time, and I was reading, and she came through. And she sees me. I, I, I have two things. I have a pen and a highlighter, and I, I do a lot of highlighting. And, and she sees me reading, and I'm highlighting a few things. And she said, hey, Dad, can I, can I highlight for you? I said, sure. She goes, show me where. And so uh, there was a, a quote that I, I, I highlighted. She goes, ah, oh, hang on a second. And she goes, and we, we got her a Bible. It's a devotional Bible. She goes, I want to highlight my Bible too. And so she gets her Bible um, and she brings it. And I read her the story about how to say I'm sorry and why it's important. And, and so we're reading through and it, it has a, a prayer at the end. And she, and, she's, and so I asked her, I said, well, what, I, so I read it, I said, what do you want to highlight? And she goes, I really like the prayer, and, and highlights the prayer. And, and I say that to you, moms, because everything you do, even the little stuff, gets noticed. When you take up your cross, even if your children aren't all, the, even if they're adults and they're not all that interested, model it. Be consistent. Fight for it. Modeling Jesus is one of the mandates that we have as parents. And so when the disciples chose to do this, they said, you may not be, but that's not going to stop me from modeling Jesus and living it out. So sheer courage, they've been with Jesus, and, and eventually there's fruit of that. There's fruit that we've been with Jesus. We're going to say something, we're going to do something, we're going to live it out. We're not talking about perfection, so let me help you out there. Peter was as rough-edged as they come as a disciple. If I were Jesus, I would have not picked him. He was outspoken. He, was, he rubbed people wrong. He was arrogant. And a lot of the other disciples had their own character flaws. But Jesus chose him because he was working through him. And there was a sure courage. He'd been with Jesus, and then there was fruit. And then I love what Henry Blackaby says. He says this. He says, there's no mistaking a life transformed by God. There's no mistaking it. It's evident to all. And so let's finish this out. It says, when they released them, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they had heard it, they lifted their voices together to God. They prayed. They worshiped. And the sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in it, and who through the mouth of the father David, your servant said to the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentile rage and the apostles 
plot in vain, or people's plot in vain. The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers are gathered together against the Lord and against His anointed. For truly this city there have gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod, the Pontius Pilate, and among, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever you, your hand and the plan has been predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and groan and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. He's like, God, this was a prayer. God, there have been people that are against us. There are going to be people, let me help you out, there will always be people who will push back on the Christian faith. As soon as you quote John 14, 6, you're going to have somebody push them back. Well, there's got to be more ways than that. There has to be. Jesus said those words, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And let me help you out. You will bear your cross a whole lot more confidently if you hold to that. And their prayer was, God, we've got all this oppression. Help us to be bold. It wasn't about, we'll take it away. It wasn't about, God, do something to them. It was like, God, I just want to be bold. I want to be I want to reflect you well. I don't want to be afraid. I, don't, I want my cross to be public. I don't want it to be private. I want it to be out. I don't want to go, oh, look at who's coming. Let me go put that away, and uh, I'll just kind of change my verbiage. No, not in, a, not in an arrogant, rude, self-righteous way, but live your cross out. If you look at the discussion that Peter, Peter's like, Peter wasn't being, he wasn't being a knucklehead, but he was being bold. He wasn't being afraid. He was like, this is who I am. This is what I'm living for. This is, this is, this is, I'm not changing. You can threaten me, but I can't stop speaking about what I've seen and what I've heard. And so he says, okay. So we see that verse 30, while you stretch out your hand and heal and the signs and wonders are performed through the name, the name of your holy servant. And when they had prayed, the place where they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continue to speak the Word of God with boldness. That should give you goosebumps. As soon as they said amen, the ground just kind of shook. Like God's like, I just want you to know, I'm here. I'm with you. Let's go. And so, and so, it, says, and so it says, so we can speak with boldness. And God says, okay, here we go. So here's the outflow of a boldness of carrying your cross, being public with it. And now the number of those who believe with one, that means they were together, they were in unison, with one heart and soul, and no one said that of any things that belonged, no, let me back up, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to them was his own, but they had everything in common. It says they were coming together as a, as a community to say, you need something? Let me help you. And everybody came together. And it's funny because sometimes when you look at this number, you think, oh, it must have been a couple hundred. Maybe it was 20. Folks, we're talking 10, 20,000 that came together, not in a commune kind of way, but saying, look, let's get the traction as a community. Let's do this. And the great power of the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And a great group grace was upon them. There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands, of, of houses, sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it out at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as, as his need. People were selling things. People were coming together and saying, you need something? Oh, here, here. 
you need some food? Here, you, are, you guys need some help? What's up here? And so they had this every, they had the gospel in common and they had meeting needs in common. See, taking up your cross isn't always about just, it's not only living it out, but it's also doing something with it. And sometimes that's hard. Got to do something for Jesus, man. Sometimes you got to sacrifice something for that and it's for the greater good. There was not a needy person among them for as many as, as owners of the land, let me read that again, or houses sold them and brought them the proceeds of the house and laid it out before the disciples. And I love this, verse 36. Thus Joseph, who was also called the apostles Barnabas, which means encouragement, and Levite, a, a, a native of Cyprus, sold a field and belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. See, cross-bearing has a contagious effect when they see boldness in people, they say, man, if they can, I can. I won't be silent anymore. And it's cross-bearing. I love this. The, the gospel brings people together in mind and heart. The gospel is one thing that we can unify us to be a consistent message to the world around us. When you take up your cross and somebody says, tell me about your Jesus, you can say, this is what Jesus is and what he's done for me. And it has this ability that in this room, if we take up our cross it has a contagious effect on people. It does. And when we live that faith out, people go, okay, that's what Jesus, man, Jesus was this way. All you have to do is just read the gospel accounts. Jesus was that way. He lived it. He modeled it. And when his disciples started to get it, they lived for it. You know, being a student pastor for a long time, there, was, there were those moments when you get those kids who decide to live for God even though, I had this one girl when I was at Prairie Hills, um, neither, her, her dad was not a believer, brother kind of went to church, mom was trying to figure out, and, and she, man, she, she fought for her faith, and, and I remember taking her to camp, and we'd have lots of conversations after Bible studies on Wednesday night, and just talking about how do I, how do I influence my parents, how do I live for God, and let me just help you out. There are going to be a lot of people who claim to be Christian who do not take up their cross. Do, hear me, do not let that sour you from taking up yours. There are going to be people that you know that you think, man, I thought that they were, and they're going to fail. That should not and cannot impact yours. When Jesus says take up your cross, he doesn't mean take up it's not a conglomerate. It's your personal relationship. And I remember telling this young girl, I was like, fight for your faith, keep living for God, keep modeling it, because that's all you're required to do. You're not, the, you're not the convictor. You're not the change agent in their life. That's Jesus' job. We're to be the representation of Christ. And I remember that her, her shoulders kind of slump when I said that, like, okay, I just have to live for God. And it's hard sometimes. What I'm telling you is not easy because if you're in a hostile environment or if you're around, like, if, like in this situation, her parents were marginal, her dad was definitely not, and she was like, how do I live this? I was like, walk with Jesus, be with Jesus, live it out, stay connected to him even when your dad is kind of not pouring cold water on it. And she did. She's married today, got kids of her own. She's a Christian counselor. But she fought for her faith, and she worked at it, and she still works at it today. She's not, she's not like any of the rest of us. So I would say to you, when you think about taking up your cross, boldness comes by the more you spend time with Him. I'll help you out again. What you get here on Sunday isn't enough for you to be bold the rest of the week. 
you've got to spend time with this Jesus who wants you to spend time with him so that when it requires boldness, you'll actually be bold instead of, and like Peter, Peter said, Peter says, I'm not going to stop talking. If you're not spending time with Jesus, in the moment when you have an opportunity, you will say less or nothing at all, or you'll spin it in a safer version. Peter spoke about it because it impacted him. His denial to now being in the lead role, he's like, I am not going to make that mistake again. I am not going to, I'm going to share. I'm going to be bold. I'm going to live accordingly. And that's what he's calling us to do, is to put feet to the cross bearing. It's one thing to say you're a Christian. It's another thing actually to live that out. And it can't be based on what others are doing. Peter didn't look out and go, hey, are you guys all with me? Peter, it was basically two guys. Peter and John were, were taking the heat. They were under the rule. They were under the eyes of the religious leaders. And let me just tell you, that, that, little, that little pool of religious leaders that showed up wasn't like two or three guys. There were, they, took, they were trying to intimidate them. So they bring all the religious people in and kind of stand over them. You know, it's pretty intimidating. And they were trying to get them to be quiet, and they couldn't do it because they had been with Jesus. Let me just tell you what, when you've been with Jesus, you'll bear your cross. Let's pray. Father, I, I ask for forgiveness in my own life where it was just simply easier to be quiet. When there was an opportunity right before me and I, I spun it in a safer version or held back. And God, I, I look at Peter and I, I see a man who stood before a girl and some other people and denied you confidently and boldly. And now I see a Peter standing before a, a, a packed house of religious leaders saying, I can't stop speaking about what I have seen and what I've heard. And I pray for us in this room this morning. There may be somebody in this room that the only way they're going to speak confidently about you is having a relationship with you. And until that happens, it's not going to happen. They can't talk. They're not going to share. There may be somebody in this room, God, that on Mother's Day, that's surrendering their life to you. Is where, that, is where that cross-bearing begins. There may be some in this room that cross-bearing has been hard at home, at work. Maybe they look back on their past and they say, man, how can I take up my cross? I've had so many failures. And God, I would say, and you would too, that you are a redeeming God, that the, the cross is where we find a new day, a new, a new beginning. And I pray for some in this room that maybe that's a step that they need to reconnect with you. God, there are probably for some in this room that they've got questions about what does it mean to take up my cross? It's been so hard. It's been, it's been so long. How do I persevere when I'm the only one? I pray, God, that they would find those words that we said at the beginning that you'll never leave us. You'll never forsake us. You'll always be with us as encouragement. Father, for the next few moments, if we need to respond to you in some way, I pray that we have courage to do so. It's in your name that I pray. Amen. I'll ask you to stand. Our pastors are here.